to give. Your presence is a gift unto us, and we're grateful that you have chosen to worship with us this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And as you're doing so, I want to ask this question. What is the role of community in our lives? What is the role of community in our lives? Uh, The role of community in general, the role of uh, the Christian community, the church, if you will. And we can answer that question in a lot of different ways, but I want to answer it uh, addressing some cultural narratives that we may face uh, today in the larger idea of identity and as our identity shapes uh, community. In ancient cultures, as well as many non-Western cultures, so really we're comparing Western versus non-Western or even ancient cultures, is our identity and the answers to the question, what is the role of community, was often answered by what Charles Taylor in the secular age calls a porous identity, a porous. You think of something that's porous, it allows liquid to flow through it. And so the idea is that between the internal desires and the external influences, our identity and our purpose was porous, meaning that we would answer the question, the role of community, in a sense that community affected our identity and a community affected our purpose. There's this uh, idea of the community as a whole was foundational even over the individual. Now we turn to our Western culture and um, in a Uh, older book by Robert Bell in The Habits of the Heart, he's describing the modern culture, and it's often called the buffered self in relation to the porous. The porous is between external and internal. The ideas come together in order to make your identity, where today, that oftentimes Western culture is the buffered self in the sense that we don't want community and we don't want others around us to define for us who we are or our purpose. It's the buffered self, or what is often called expressive individualism. It's a fancy way, individual expressiveness, meaning you express who you want to be for yourself. You as the individual determine your future. You as the individual determine what is most important in your life. We, we can understand this today. Have you ever heard anybody tell you, you know, don't let anyone else tell you what to do. Don't let anyone else tell you what's important. You decide for yourself what is important. You decide what is true for you. You decide your hopes and your dreams. And we see this play out uh, in the song Frozen, or in the movie Frozen. But in the song, Elsa sings this phrase. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No rights, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. Do you understand what she's saying? This is the description of the answer to the question, what is the role of community in the modern Western culture today? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, there are some positives to this definition of identity. For example, one of the positives to this definition of identity that you the emphasis on the individual versus the communal, is that we don't allow the individuals within our community to get overlooked. There's a greater emphasis on the minorities, and there's a greater emphasis on those who are struggling in the community because we say that every person is made in the image of God, and every individual is valuable. So there's positives to this emphasis on the individual. 
but there are also negatives that impact the way we relate to biblical community, which is ultimately what we want to talk about this afternoon. And some of the negatives is the reality that when we talk about what is identity for ourselves and we make what we want and we say what we want and the purpose for ourselves is our greatest desires in us define our future and our greatest desires are what is most important is what happens when our greatest desires are conflicting with one another. Imagine in the simplest form, I've given this example before, but I want to be healthy, but I also want to eat ice cream and pizza. It was my dad's birthday this past week, and he passed away last year, and so kind of in honor of him, his favorite meal was pizza and ice cream. And so on his birthday for dinner, pizza and ice cream it was. When I think about that desire to eat pizza and ice cream, and I remember Ella recently, a couple weeks ago, actually we were... We were eating something, and she said, when I'm a parent, I'm going to let my kids eat all the candy they want. You know, what she was saying was, you hold me back. That what I really want, you don't allow for me, and that's not good for me. But when I'm in charge, I'm going to what? Tell my kids what they want they can have. But the problem with that is that she'll learn to show that that is not what's best for my kids, and that's not what's best for her kids. Because oftentimes, our desires are competing. I want ice cream and pizza, but I want to be healthy. We see this play out true on a much larger scale. Imagine one person might say, I I desire to be faithful to my wife, but I also desire to have sexual relations with someone else. What happens when you have competing desires at that level? The point is, is that if we define our purpose and if we define who we are and we define our meaning in life based off what our desires are, what happens when our desires are an illusion to us? We can't figure out what they are. What happens when we say and we recognize that our desires are not ultimately only defined by us, but they are defined by our community? One of the negative impacts of this type of mindset of individualism, that who you say is for you, is what it's done is, and this is really kind of brings us into the text today, is it has created an isolation in our lives. Because over time, if you run into community and relationships that tell you, like I tell my daughter, that you cannot have all the candy you want, And what if you have the ability to say, well, if I can't have that candy, well, then I'm going to go do what I want, and I'm going to walk away from that influence in my life. And over time, it leads us into greater and greater isolation. It's one of the reasons I believe that we see uh, uh, therapy and mental illness and some of these aspects on the rise. And in fact, to give a study to that, in 2018, there was a national survey done by Cigna, and they specifically talking about loneliness and the isolation of individuals. And it says loneliness has reached an all-time high with nearly half of the U.S. adults reporting that they sometimes or always feel alone. Forty percent of the survey participants reported that they sometimes or always feel that the relationships are not meaningful and they feel isolated. Now, it leads us to ask the question, is isolation a problem? The study continues to say this, such numbers are alarming because the health and mental health risk associated with loneliness are high. According to uh, analysis authored by a professor at BYU in psychology and neuroscience says this, that the lack of social connection 
heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, how they measure that, I don't know. But this is the claim that they're making, the impact of loneliness in our lives. It's the same as 15 cigarettes a day, the amount of stress it puts on your body. That it's the same as having an alcohol abuse disorder. She's also found that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity is on the stress of our body. Here's the point. Is that our culture's indoctrination, Western culture's indoctrination of individualism is leading to a lifestyle of I am all about me. Not only is that self-centered, but it also leads to us separating ourselves from the role of community in our lives, which further brings isolation, which is bringing a fracture into our lives and into our society, which leads us to this idea today as we look at the measure of maturity within our church that we simply call living surrounded by community of faith. We began this series talking about the marks of a mature Christian in reference to Philippians chapter 1, where Philippians 1 says that Paul is praying for the church that they would grow in maturity in their walk with Christ so that they are what? Pure, blameless, and mature on the day of Christ. And so it begs us to ask the question, what is maturity? We spent a few weeks talking about, three weeks, talking about maturity in our relationship to Christ is that we live surrendered to him. Well, what does biblical maturity look like in relationship to the community of faith? And that's the question of today. And we would say it means that we live surrounded by a community of faith. Now, we're coming to our text in Romans chapter 12, but here's what I want to say as we talk about living surrounded by a community of faith, because I do believe that this is an aspect of maturity in the Christian life, is that we recognize the positives of our cultural emphasis on individuals, that every individual is important, but we also recognize the incompleteness of it and the failures of that idea, and to say that we don't, we need more than just ourselves. That we do need community. And in community greatly impacts who we are, what we believe, our identity, and our purpose, which we'll see in our text today. And so the claim is that we need biblical community, and the emphasis on community is a mark of maturity. Now, when we talk about living surrounded by a community of faith, you could probably, if you've been around church a minute, you could probably already go, I know the application to today's sermon. The application to today's sermon is the pastor's going to tell me to get in a community group. Because community groups are where you live in community with one another. And I, if I'm in a community group, then I'm living surrounded by a community of faith. Here's what I want to tell you. That's not the application for today. Because it's possible for you to come into a church building, to come into a community group, and still not live vulnerable and authentic to the people around you, and still not live in community. So hear me say this. I do not care if you join a community group or not. And here's why. Do I think you should? Yes, and I'll explain why, but I don't care because community is not an event you go to. Community is a circumstance and a posture of your life, meaning you could be living surrounded by a community of faith where you're authentic to a community of brothers and sisters, where you're living in community, where people know what's going on in your life, where people are speaking into your life and you're speaking into their life, and it's possible for that to happen without you ever going to a community group. But we believe that community groups is a means for which to foster that idea. So the point is, is I don't care whether you join a community group, meaning I don't have a preference. I do care. I realize that 
in the South, care is often used for the word for preference, and up here it's not as much, and people are like, you don't care about me? No, I care greatly about you, so let me kill it. I do not have a preference on whether you join a community group or not. I have a great preference on whether you're living surrounded by a community of faith or not, though. See the difference? Because one's an event you go to, another is a posture in which you submit your life to. That's what I want to talk about today. My goal is not to get you to go to another event later on this week called community group. My goal is for you to live surrounded by community of faith. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, reading through verse 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There are three truths that I want us just to unpack from this text today as we think through this. First is the diversity of our gifts, we see from this text, second, the specificity of our gifts, and then thirdly and lastly, the source of our gifts. The diversity, the specificity, and the source. First, the diversity of our gifts. Look at verses three through five again. For by the grace given to me, I say to, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Here's the idea. One of the ideas in this is first, I really love how he graciously says that you're not all that important. Look what he says at the beginning of verse three, or at the, in verse three. For by grace is given me to say everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Meaning that sometimes I think um, we might come into a group, we might come into a people, whether it be illustratively in the church or in our workplace, and we might have this mindset that, oh, I, 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 I'm pretty good at this. I, I really have something to offer to the team, you know? Um, illustratively, I sometimes feel that way at 6'6 when I step onto a basketball court, you know? Some crowds, that's not the case, but in a lot of places, I'll go and play, um, and I might be like, I got this, and then I remember I got bad knees and different things happen, and I'm reminded, oh, I shouldn't think too highly of myself. This is his nice way of saying, you're not all that special. You individually are not all that special. This is important to hear. This is something we need to hear, because we also sometimes grow up in a culture where everybody gets a trophy just for showing up in sports or in different aspects, and we are rightfully told that we are valuable because we are valuable. But there's also this reminder that you're, you're really not all that impressive, meaning you're not God's gift to the church. Jesus is. And so there's this challenge that, first of all, when we come to relationships within the church, to recognize that we have a diversity of gifts. So one, you're not God's gift to the church. Jesus is. But that doesn't mean you don't have a gift to offer the church. See the difference? It's not to say, he doesn't say, he makes it clear to go, you're not everything. 
But he also says, but you're not nothing either. And he says that we have a diversity of gifts. Think of it like this. This is a, actually a, a wonderful illustration. I, you know, I try to bring props for illustrations. So this week I put up stained glass windows as a prop uh, for my illustration. That's kind of a joke. They're already there, but you're supposed to see, like, make me think I did this for you. Okay, let's move on to the illustration. Bad jokes. All right, look at the stained glass window. Every individual part, you take it maybe when you're putting it together and you go like, all right, this is one little piece and you put it together. And even in a theory, those are uh, lights behind that. That's not actually an exterior wall. There's lights. But imagine it was an exterior wall and it's dark and you still couldn't see it. But then finally, the light from the back end shines through and you see the beauty of it. Here's the picture I want us to see is when we talk about the diversity of gifts, here's what Paul's arguing. Although we are individual pieces, just like a stained glass window, in Christ we are put together in one body. And when his light shines on the church, it shows a beautiful mosaic and a masterpiece to the world around us. Part of the idea of living in community and being surrounded by a community of faith is not just for your good, although that's part of it. It's not just for the good of others, although that's part of it. But the beauty and the diversity of the church and the gifts that God's given us and how we work together is a testimony to the world around us when Christ shines his light on the church of the beauty of his body. And when we think about our role within the church as one body, we are like uh, the stained glass windows, the mosaic of that we might be one piece. And we're not all the same piece. He says in other places that the hand, not all of us can be the hands and not all of us can be the eyes, that we have different roles within the body of Christ. And we're not all the same piece. We're all a different piece, but we all belong. And then as we are put together and Christ shines his light on us, there's a beautiful diversity in how God has made us. This should do a couple of things. One, it should make us not want to try to be someone else. You are the best version of you. And it also gives you then the freedom, secondly, to be the best version of you. To recognize that some of you might go, man, I really wish I had the gifts that so-and-so has. If I had the gifts that so-and-so has, I, could, I really feel like I would be beneficial to the church. You're not that person. So don't be that person, but be the person God's made you to be to the church. So all of us, firstly, have a diversity of gifts. That we all have different gifts that God's given to the church. Second is that we have a specificity of gifts. So not only do we have a diversity, meaning we don't all have the same gifts, our gifts aren't by happenstance. Meaning that they are gifts given to us, to the church, to be a benefit to the church. Let me illustrate this idea of how we should think about gifts in the church. A lot of times, we may go to church, and I'm using church now in reference to the event that happens. A lot of times, we may go to church and with a mindset of, I, I hope to receive something today, and I hope you do. That I, I'm wanting to receive from the Lord, I'm wanting to, to hear a good sermon, or which you always do, and I'm wanting to, see, that was funny, y'all laughed at that one. You know, you, you go, I'm wanting to receive something, but have you ever thought that maybe the approach and the posture should be, I'm going to church because I have something to give. That I have something to give to the church. That you need to be here because if you're not here, then in theory, when I say here, I'm now referring to the body, not just to the event. 
meaning that you're here involved in the community, committed to the community, accountable to the community, because in your absence, it's possible that the church is missing something it needs, meaning that I'm made better because of your presence in my life. And I hope that you're made better because of my presence in your life. That all of us have a diversity of gifts, but at the same time, all of us have a specificity, a specific gift that God has given us that is useful to the church. And Paul says, hey, whatever that is, lean into that. Uh, I do some coaching and leadership stuff, um, just part of my role, and I'm passionate about not only as a pastor, but within the domination. And one of part of that training, I am a certified strength finders coach. And a strength finders, if you've heard of it, is, is basically a skills assessment that is kind of like a personality assessment, but it, it, val- it looks at different uh, potential giftings you may have. And, but one of the philosophies of strength finders is to leverage your strengths not to try to fix your weaknesses. Leverage your strengths not try to fix your weaknesses. Because a lot of times, if there's, we may in our careers or in our job, we recognize something we're not good at, and we spend a lot of time fixing that. Think about it in school and education. I was naturally good at math. I was terrible at English and grammar. I still Google, but when do I use a comma? Do I use a comma in this situation? You know, I pay money for Grammarly to tell me when to use commas and not use commas in my writing because I'm not good at it. But math, I was natural at. And what my education largely was around was tons of time trying to fix my commas. Where do I put a comma? Where do I put a semicolon? This or that. And I still don't get it. Whereas, I think if more time was put towards mathematics, I might have been able to excel in that. Recognizing this reality is that sometimes we put too much emphasis on trying to fix our weaknesses instead of leaning into our strengths. And sometimes we do that within the church when it comes to our giftings. Well, I am not gifted in this area, so I want to work on it. Maybe, but what if that's not what God wants you to do? What if God has leveraged you in finances? It references generosity. Maybe God's given you a gift of generosity and the means of generosity. Why don't you lean into that? What if God's given you the gift of encouragement? Lean into that. Hospitality, lean into that. That's not to say that we never ever exercise all these areas, but it is to say that you have specific gifting God's called you to use. How can you use it? I, I want to I brag on someone because he's not here, but I think of Brian Whitaker oftentimes in this. And here's a simple example. You know, when you think about Brian Whitaker, who's now a pastor, that's actually not the part I want to illustrate. I want to illustrate before he was a pastor. And he has a gift that he knows how to connect wires and lights turn on. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, like he just does stuff, poles twist all around. He puts holes in things. And next thing you know, we have lights and all these different things in our church. But you realize that is a gift that has served our church and saved us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, even to the point where he called me the other night. He said, hey man, I know y'all got some rain. Is there something I can do to help foster cleaning out the water? You know, just whatever. You think that when it comes to the church, because you often see what happens on stage, that if you don't have a gift for something that on stage, then you don't have something to offer the church. I want you to notice what Paul says here in Romans 12 as he starts this. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell you to use the grace given to you. That's the summary of this text. He says, 
my grace gift has been, is called to teach. So I will use my grace gift to teach you. And in my grace gift of teaching you, I'm encouraging you to go leverage your grace gift for the benefit of the church. I'm using my grace gift to benefit the church. Would you use your grace gift to benefit the church? And so what is the specific gift that God's given you and how can you serve the body? Here's why it's important for us to define church, not as an event or a location, but as a people. Now, we often colloquially in our culture call this event church. That's fine. We're not trying to change culture. We'll keep calling it church. But usually when we talk about church, we mean the body of Christ. If we think about serving the church as an event or location, you're only going to think about what happens in this room. Do I have a gift to serve in this room? And if I don't, then I don't have a way to serve the church. But if you see the church as the body of Christ trying to live faithful to Christ in their lives and to care for one another, all of a sudden you got a gift that can help everybody, whatever it may be. There's a lot of ways you can serve others. There's ways you can serve the organization of the church, but there's also ways you can just serve others individually in the church. And the reality is, is we need one another. Lastly, what is the source of our gifts? I kind of read it in Romans 12, 3a, and then Romans 12, 6. It says, for by the grace given to me. And then in verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. I don't know about you, but in my, uh, in my translation, uh, it titles this section, Gifts of Grace. Gifts of Grace. And here's the reason why. The Greek word for grace is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. The Greek word for gifts is charis plus M-A, meaning it has the same root. Charisma is it's, it's, it's the Greek word there for gifts. So it's gifts of God's grace or grace gifts. It's one word. And it's recognizing that these are gifts that God has graciously given us. He's given us in our natural talents. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about grace that are gifts that have been given by God the Father in creation. Then talks about gifts that have been given by Jesus in salvation. And then talks about gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to the church. But the idea is that all that God has and how he has made us in our personalities, in our talents, in our giftings, and in how he has overflowed the Spirit into our lives is a gift to be used, graciously given to us, to be given to the church and to the world around us. But the source of that is Christ himself. It's God himself. So to ask the question is you cannot receive, in a sense, the grace to serve the church if you are not in Christ. When we talk about the body of Christ and we go back to the stained glass window, we think about the reality that we are individual pieces that God has made But he has made us not to be individuals. He's made us for community. And specifically, he's made us for the body of Christ. And in Christ, he takes us and he forms us and he puts us together. Look at verse 4. For as one body, we have many members. I started by talking about different cultures. And one culture says a lot of your identity, traditional cultures, says your identity is found in your community. That your purpose is found in your community. The community is more important than the individual. And the Western culture came along and said, we see the abuses of that. 
So Western culture come along and said, in fact, no, the individual is most important. The individual is more important than the community. And Christ would come along and say, you as an individual are important, but you are not meant to be alone. But you're supposed to be in community for we are one body and we are many members. That in Christ, he takes the individual and he brings the community and he brings it to a whole. In Christ, we are one body redeemed by him. So I ask you this question, that in Christ, have you found ultimately your home? Have you found your family? Have you found your community? Have you found your identity in Christ as it relates to, as an individual to the body of Christ? And I want to challenge us, even as Christians, it's easy for us to live in the stream and the DNA of our culture that says, what? I as an individual am important. And every relationship I have in my life is only there if it benefits me. And if this relationship no longer benefits me, then I can move on. And there is some truth to that. But when it comes to the church, this is one of the reasons when we talk about membership, we talk about it as a covenant relationship. That it's not just a transactional relationship. You come and join the community because it benefits you and you only. But you recognize that you're a part of the community. You're part of what makes it a community. And you offer your life relationally into that. That you receive and you give into that community. Why? Because Christ has formed us in him for that community. And it's in Christ and in his church and him alone where we truly will find that relationship of individual and community brought together. So why would I say you need to live surrounded by a community of faith? Again, I don't have a preference on whether you go to community groups later this week or not. If you're wanting to take steps towards community, that's a good place to start. But it's more than just an event you go to. It's a posture that you surround yourself with where you're available to other people. You're authentic to other people. You're accountable to other people as they continue to push you towards Christ and you push others towards Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us and redeemed us. And we thank you that in that redemption, you have individually saved our souls, but you saved us and joined us to a body. We are not alone in this, but you have, in a sense, corporately, saved the body which we are individual members of but you've saved one body which is your bride and so jesus i pray that we would first and foremost see that you're calling us in salvation to you to confess our sins unto you and to participate and join to that body as something you do in us and i pray that we would then as we recognize that horizontal reconciliation in you or excuse me that vertical reconciliation in you that that would play out horizontally in the world around us. So Father, I pray that you would capture our hearts to see our need for you. That our identity is not found in our culture alone, in our community alone. Our identity and our purpose is not found in our individual desires alone. But our identity and purpose is found in you and that gives us freedom to be loved by a community, to serve a community with our gifts and to recognize that you have given me a gift not just for myself but for the benefit of others and to serve your church and bride. That our purpose is found not in taking for ourselves but to giving towards others because that's what you have done for us.
you gave your life out for us. Would you help us see that? Would you help us see that there's great life and joy found in living surrounded by a community of faith, ultimately formed in you, Jesus. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.